spending about 10 or 15 minutes downstairs with our kids, talking to them in kids' church, and, um, and just having a great time. And I want, I want all your parents to know that you have some great kids. Give yourself a hand, okay? All right. <laughs> now, I've got to ask the question whether or not my mic is on this morning. Can you guys hear me out there? All right. Okay, good. I don't want to go do all of this if you can't hear me, okay? <laughs> uh, on a more... Um, prayerful note, I just got a call just before the service today that Diane Richardson, who has been uh, really near death, is, she's very, very, very near death this morning. And so right after the service today, in fact, I will be leaving here and going straight there. So what I'd like us to do as we begin this morning is just to pray Let's pray together and ask the Lord to, to be with uh, that whole family right now. Father, we just pray right now for uh, Diane. Lord, if these, if, the, if these are these closing moments, Lord, we know that she's ready to meet you and that she's been expressing this for, for months and weeks and years of her life. And she's going to have a grand entrance into the very presence of God. So, Lord, we're asking this morning that you'll be with her but that you also be with her family, Lord. There's tears and there's, there's that sorrow, and you understand that. And we're just asking, Lord, that you'll, you'll bless and keep and surround that family during this time. And uh, we give you praise for this in Jesus' name. Amen. And I'm hearing a little ring in my sound up here. If you guys don't hear it, are you hearing any ring out there? All right. If you guys are okay, I'll, I can take it. <laughs> All right. But I still hear this little bass sound that's going on up here. Well, we've been using the analogy of a tug of war to explain how humanity has been pulled off its feet into the mud, into this mud pit of evil where we're struggling with evil and getting sucked down into things that destroy our lives. And we've seen that that first tug of war took place way back in the Garden of Eden at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil when Satan was seeking to pull our parents, Adam and Eve, off their feet. Now, and this was the tree that was right at the very center of the garden, strategically placed there by God. It was also the one tree of tens of thousands of other trees that, were, that God said, this tree is off limits to you guys. Satan was there pulling them. And finally, we know the story, they made the decision. Our parents made the decision to reach out and eat from that tree. Now, we've also been saying that there's certainly a lot more involved here than reaching out and taking a piece of fruit off a tree. It's what that tree represented. That tree that was planted at the center of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, represented God at the center of all of life. And God is the only one who's qualified, wise enough, to set the definitions for what is good and what is evil, for what is right and what is wrong. And that was the catastrophe that took place when our parents thought they could do that better than God. They could judge what is right and wrong. And so they reached out and took the center. They took God's place. And that's been our history ever since, our struggle with evil. Now I want to add another illustration to this analogy of the tug of war this morning to help us see this. And you'll notice that I have this 
very clear, transparent, pure glass of water that is up here this morning. It's not something I'm going to be drinking out of, but it's up here for a reason, and I'll get to that in just a second. Well, okay, just like the water, the pure water in this glass, that's the way our parents' understanding of what was good and evil was before the tree incident. And I'm going to be referring to the tree incident this morning. You'll, you'll know what I'm talking about, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil incident. Prior to that incident, their understanding of what was right and wrong and good and evil was crystal clear because they received that understanding from, because God was at the center of their lives. Their lives were pervaded with the very presence of God. And so they understood what is good and what is right. However, when they reached out and took of that tree, something instantly happened to change all of the clarity they had. And this is the way we'll illustrate that today. This is chocolate milk, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) However, (laughs) this is what happened to our parents. And not only to our parents, but when when sin came into human nature, it brought the whole family tree into this murkiness, into this cloudy, distorted understanding of what is right and what is wrong, of what is good and what is evil, to the point, and you know this to be the case, that we live in a world right now where a lot of times the world says, culture says, this is a, this is a good thing to be doing. When, we, when, when God would say, it's an absolutely destructive thing to be doing. We get confused on what is right and wrong, and we call good evil and evil good a lot of times. Romans chapter 1 describes this condition that we're in right now. It says this, their thinking became futile, their hearts became darkened. Ephesians 4.18 says it this way, they are darkened in their understanding, they're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Jesus referred to this same cloudiness in Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 and 23. This is what he said, he compared our eyesight to our physical eyesight to our spiritual eyesight. And this is what he said, your eyesight is the lamp that provides light for your body. When your eyesight is good, your whole body is full of light. But when your eyesight is bad, when it's cloudy, your whole body is filled with darkness. That means you're blind. And then this is what he said. And if the light that you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. And that pretty much describes the condition of our world. A lot of times we think that darkness is light and light is darkness. And it's easy to see the outcome of this spiritual, intellectual, morally cloudy thinking and reasoning. Because as the family tree began to grow, it began to form what we call culture. And what is culture? Well, culture is that collective, um, collective common systems that people groups form around themselves that they all sort of agree upon, this is what is right and this is what is wrong. This is what is good, this is what is evil. Well, as culture began to form under these cloudy conditions, well, here's what happened. There there began to form cloudy systems of spirituality expressing itself in all different kinds of religions that have very distorted views of God. 
It began to express itself in cloudy, corrupted ideologies that get us into big trouble. Cloudy moral values began to develop. In other words, we live in a world with a mixture, a confused mixture of good and evil, right and wrong. And what this means is that right in our own culture today, right here in the United States, among the many truly good things we have, like our freedoms and the high value that we place on human rights, those are wonderful. But woven into the middle of all that, there's an awful lot of cloudy thinking. And there are some things that are happening in our culture today that we are calling good, that are not at all good for human beings. But in reality, unknowns to us are sucking us deeper and deeper and deeper into the mud that, that will potentially destroy us. And the complicating issue here is that our distorted sense of good and evil is also wrapped up with our own personal sense of right and, uh, rights and dignity. And so if someone walks up to you or me and says to us in the midst of our cloudy moral thinking that what we are saying is good is not really good at all, then what do we do? We take it as a personal attack on our basic freedoms, to be me, to be who I am. We take it as an attack upon the dignity, our dignity as a person. And none of us like to be told that we're wrong, do we? Do you? <laughs> I don't like to be told that I'm wrong. Uh, I, had, I had sort of a heated discussion with Jill about my socks the other day. And uh, I won't, I'm not even gonna go into the details of that, but I don't like to be told that I'm wrong, you know? Uh, so we don't like to be told that we're wrong. And, and usually what we'll say is, who are you? What gives you the right to walk up to me and say that my moral reasoning, my moral thinking is distorted? But that's our dilemma, isn't it? Where do we turn to for clarity on what is good and evil? We, we no longer have one common, worldwide, agreed-upon authority that we all turn to to define for us what is good from what is evil. And that's the condition of living on this side of the tree incident, right here. However, into our world of confused, cloudy thinking, where we're all sinking deeper and deeper in the mud, spiritually, psychologically, emotionally, relationally, and physically. Into that world stepped Jesus Christ, telling us that he is the one who has the authority to distinguish for us good from evil. Jesus came into the world and said things like, I am the light of the world. I'm not just the light of Palestine. <laughs> I'm the light of the world. He could have said, I'm the light of the universe. Jesus came into the world and said, I am a way, a truth, and a life. No, I'm not one among many views of religion or views of life or views of what is healthy and good. Jesus came and said, I am, and he used this little article, article adjective, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he said, no one can come back to God, whom we evicted way back in that garden, whom we evicted from our hearts, 
at the tree of the knowledge of Judah. We can't even come back to him except we come through Jesus Christ. Jesus said that about himself, about who he was. And then in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus gave us this parable. I think you all know the story of the two builders. One of them was wise and one of them was not wise. And the wise builder, he went out and found this huge rock, this big piece of bedrock. And he decided, man, that's a good place to build my house. So he built his house there. And the storms came and the gale and the hurricane blew. That house stood because it was set upon a rock. But then the, the guy that wasn't so wise, he went out and said, you know what, I can, I can buy this land cheaper, so I'm just going to buy my, I'm going to build my house on some sand. And uh, he built his house, and you know what, before the storm came, if you would have looked at both houses, they probably looked, both looked pretty sturdy and pretty nice. But the difference came when the storms hit. And for the unwise guy, man, as soon as the storm hit, that sand gave way underneath and the whole house fell down. But you know, what, what was Jesus illustrating in that story. He begins the story by saying this, he who hears my words and puts them into practice is like the wise man or the wise woman who built his house on a rock. What he's saying is that his teachings, the word that Jesus came to give us, that word is, is the foundation of life. That is the word that will help us distinguish what is right from wrong. Now, what is this word? What is this body of teaching that Jesus is referring to? Well, that's easy. He's referring to this. He's referring to the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. How do we know that? Well, because that's what he considered the scripture to be. It's God's word. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, he said this. I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. That's what this is. Genesis, all the way through the Old Testament, that's the law and the prophets. I didn't come to abolish that. In fact, he says, I've come to fulfill what they've said about me. And I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen that God used to guide the prophets and the writers that he empowered and guided to give us every word in this book. Not one letter, not one word from this book will by any means disappear from the law, Jesus said, until it is all fulfilled. This is the rock upon which we build a life that is based upon God's definitions of what is good versus what is evil. Luke chapter 24, verse 25, Jesus was talking to a couple of his disciples one day, and he discovered in his disciples a little bit of cloudiness. You know what? And we all have a little bit of cloudiness in us. In fact, we, we, we do, we're dealing with it. But you know what? This is what he said to his two disciples that day to help them out. He said, how foolish you are. How slow of heart to believe what the prophets have spoken. And so the scripture says, and beginning with Moses. Now, what does it mean to begin with Moses? It means to begin with Genesis <laughs> and then work your way through Beginning with Moses and then on in through all the prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Hosea, Malachi, all the way through all the prophets, Jesus began, he says, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. In other words, this is the word. This is the truth. This is the teaching of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 say this. In the past, in other words, back through history, God spoke to our forefathers 
through the prophets, we have their words in the writings of the scripture, at many times and in various places. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. What that's saying is this. All through history, the God that we evicted way back there at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we said, we don't need you, God. We can do this ourselves. That same God through history loves us so much that he's kept speaking to us, trying to call us back from our cloudy, darkened hearts through a whole series of prophets that he empowered and anointed and guided to give us his written word. And then, wonder of wonders, on top of it all, that God himself, the author of those words, he himself stepped into our gloomy, messed up, murky world. He stepped into the mud right with us so he could reach down and rescue us and, and, and get us back on the right track. And he could, he could undo all of that tree incident in your life and mine. He could bring us back to what it was like to the clarity that existed before Eden, or before, in Eden, before the tree. That's, that's what this is all about. That's why the Word of God is something that's so vitally important for you and I to be filling our hearts and our lives with. Now, you know, some people say, I believe in Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I don't believe that the Scripture really could be God's Word. I think that's too much of a stretch to believe that the God of the universe would really provide us with his own clearly written, expressed teaching of what is good and evil. I don't, how, you mean you really think that this book, its author is God? You really, you really believe that? And not just some human, humanly composed religious expression of an ancient people telling us their view of God? You know what, if that's all this book is, then we may as well pack up and go home because we're just as confused. We're confused. We're still confused. If this is just one among many, we're still, we're living in the, in the murk and the, and the cloud. I would say on the contrary, I think it would be very unreasonable that the God we evicted, if he is really a God who loves us, it would be highly unreasonable that he would choose not to communicate clearly with us to help us deal with the mess we're in. And that's exactly what Jesus said to us when he came into the world. He, he said, this is my word. And it's all about him from beginning to end. It's authored down through history by him, along with the Father and the Spirit, and he finally proved it to be true, substantiated it, by coming into the world to fulfill everything this book says about him. And in John chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus said this, If anyone loves me, he will obey. He'll obey my word. Now, it's possible to be fond of Jesus. It's possible to be attracted to, the teach, to some of the teachings of Jesus. It is even possible to have a certain high respect for him. But by his definition, to love him and to truly follow him means that you have bowed before him and given him back the center of your heart. And that along with that, you are surrendering your life. You are gladly receiving into your life as the definition of what is good for your life, his word. Because it is his word. In other words, 
God's voice still speaking to us from the other side of the tree, when things were still clear and good. That's what this book is. Now, I want to take a a moment this morning to apply what we're saying to one of the major areas of cloudy cultural confusion that faces us today, uh, not just in the United States, but in our world. And I want to do this with a great amount of care and sensitivity. And here's why, because I know that the things we believe, the things that we come to believe are good for us, also become part of what we consider to be a deeply personal area of choice and freedom. And we wrap our identity and our personhood around those things that we feel down deep inside are good. And one part of our identity that really goes way down deep to the center of our being, to how we define ourselves, is our sexuality. But we're also, but here's what we're saying this morning. It's exactly at this, it's exactly down at the center of our being where we are confused and lacking God's clarity ever since the tree incident. And so this is true of some of our accepted sexual ideas in the 21st century. So let me just cite two areas of cloudy sexual thinking in our society. Now, I know I could reach out and talk about a ton of different areas. I'm zeroing in on this this morning because I think this is one area that uh, is extremely important. Here would be the first one. Uh, It is commonly considered to be okay and proper in our post-tree American culture, post-Eden American culture, that premarital sex is okay. Or if it's not okay, it's to be expected. Uh, and so we have friends with benefits, uh, sort of the current, you know, current term for uh, no, no real lasting commitment, but we're going to give each other our sexual benefits. We can share those, but we both understand there's no real commitment to this. And that living together sexually before marriage is an acceptable thing and perhaps even a wise thing to do for couples because it helps you, you know, get to know that area of each of your lives. Now, I don't have time to go into all the explanations of this this morning. That would take other sermons. And I do touch upon this every once in a while. But, but I just want to come back. I want to contrast this post-tree incident thinking of what is good with what it was like when the, when the glass was totally clear in Eden. And here's what God, who is still at the center of all of life, and who really is at the center of defining what's right and wrong, whether we know it or not, here's what God says about that. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 says, marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and the sexually impure. Now what's God saying there? He's saying that for our good and well-being. He intended and designed sexual expression to be something happening within the bond of two people that have 
committed to each other to be married and to live together for life because they love each other. It's part of an ongoing, deep, intense relationship. And therefore, sex, our sexual expressions are not to be premarital, before marriage, or then extramarital, outside of marriage once we do get married, or even postmarital. And I, I've ran into thinking before that has said, uh, well, I was married for many, many years, and for whatever reason, I'm now divorced, or my partner died, or some, something like that happened. And since I've been married, and I'm, I'm sort of beginning to date once again, I think it's okay for me to engage sexually with the person that I may end up marrying. Well, you know what? Guys, I think it's cloudy. That's a cloudy way to go. Uh, because it's the marriage bed, God says, is holy and pure and undefiled and is intended for sexual expression. And I don't want to create the idea that, you know, there's no such idea that God is against sex. Read the, read the Song of Solomon. If you want to know what God's feelings are about sex and marriage and how beautiful and wonderful and expressive it can be, read the Song of Solomon. That's his view of that. But it's something for the marriage bed. And here's why. Just give one reason, and we've got to move on. Because sex is the, is the physiological act of love that brings together into an intense, deeply intimate expression of lifelong oneness all that this husband and wife share together at every other level of their marriage, spiritually, emotionally, relationally. And to tear sex out of that fabric of intimacy is in direct conflict with the purpose for which God gave us our sexuality. Uh, and if we do that, if we rip it out of that context, we are going to be damaging that one we're having sex with, and we're going to be damaging ourselves, and it's going to remove, it's going to erase and make unclear and blurry all the sexual boundaries of our society because we've messed with the boundaries. We've messed with the fence posts. And it will ripple and have ripple effects into our families, our children, and I think we can see ample evidence of that in our culture today where no one knows where to draw the boundaries sexually anymore. Well, God drew the boundaries prior to the tree incident. The other area that is cloudy is same-sex marriage. Now, this is probably the most sensitive topic of sexuality in our culture right now, but it's one that's gaining wide acceptance. Now, post-tree human reasoning says that it is fine for same-sex individuals to share their sexuality with one another if they love one another, if they are being faithful to one another in a monogamous relationship. And that sounds very right. It sounds very solid. But when we come back into Eden, to the other side of the tree, what does God say about that? Well, in just a couple passages, and there are more that we could look at, but here's what God says about this. In Romans chapter 1, verses 26, 27, God describes as confusion women who turn against the natural way to have sex and instead indulge in sex with each other. And men who, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burn with lust for each other. Now, from the other side of the tree, 
God designed our sexuality to function not outside of, but only within the marriage relationship of a man and a woman. Now, a person may say, and may say sincerely, and this is why I speak to this very sensitively and very caringly, a person may say, but from my earliest memory, I have felt drawn in my sexuality to others of the same sex from the earliest days I could ever remember. And this person may say, I really believe that for me, this is the way I was born. I, and how could, if I was born this way, how could something that I've been born with, how could that be something that God says isn't good for me? How could that be? Well, I think there's a couple things to remember here. One is this. We have to remember that the scripture teaches us that when God was evicted from our hearts, from our lives, this impacted us at every level of our humanity, of our personhood. It impacted us spiritually, psychologically, emotionally, relationally, and it also impacted us physiologically, right down to our DNA, right down to our brain chemistry, the whole, all that we are as human beings was impacted. And what that means is that at every level of our being, there, is, there are flaws from the original design. There are, there are mistakes. There, there are defects. There are, there are issues to be dealt with. Um, there was an early psychological view, and you, you've probably studied about this, called tabula rasa which was the idea that when we're born into the world, we are all like a blank slate, a clean sheet of paper, and that all of our, that, and that all of our uh, attitudes and behaviors are a result of our environment writing the story of our life. However, we have learned in, in, in cycle, we have, that was dismissed a long time ago, and in the 90s when brain research was being done and all the research on the, the genetic code and DNA, all of this has discovered that when we come into the world, we already have a lot of stuff written onto the slate that is going to give us our, a lot of our distinctiveness, a lot of our own personhood, our temperament, our personality, our emotional, physical, mental characteristics. A lot of that is sort of coded in, and we come into the world with that. But we need to remember that when the eviction occurred, every level of our being was impacted negatively. This is what Psalm 55, 51 verse 5 says this. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. Now what does that mean? That does not mean that our infants and our babies and our kids are all just big sinners, okay? <laughs> it doesn't mean that, okay? Jesus, in fact, said that he was pointing, he took kids in his arms and he said, now if you want to know what the kingdom of God is like, Look at these kids. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. So Jesus, the word of God has the most wonderful view of children. But you know what this is saying? It's just saying what I was saying a moment ago. It's saying that when our parents evicted God, something happened deep inside human nature, and it passed to the whole family tree. So a baby, a child, up until the age of accountability, where they become morally responsible, they're just innocent in the eyes of God. They're, they're innocent before God and pure. But once they reach that age of accountability, what begins to be expressed? 
Same thing that God expressed in your life and mine. Some of the flaws, some of the defects, some of the, some of the cloudy thinking. And what the scripture says is that we have within us, deep in our being, a sinful nature that we have to contend with. So the point is here, from all of us, from conception, since the tree incident, we have been affected at all levels. And that means that we can come into this world with certain predispositions. We can come into this world with certain inclinations in our personalities. But some of those will not be good. Some of those will not be right. And some of those will be things that we need to contend with and deal with as we begin to to face our lives. So I cannot say that because I was born, you know, maybe it's an inclination toward a a subjectivity, a personality temperament that's sort of going to make me extra vulnerable to alcoholism, okay? Uh, But I certainly wouldn't want to say that because I have this inclination, it's okay for me to follow that. No. It's, It's the same way with many things in our lives. But this is what makes this teaching so difficult this morning. Because if from my earliest memory I have always felt drawn a certain way, even if I might have been born with that, and then someone comes along to me and begins to try to persuade me that this deep part of who I have always been is not a good thing, then my reaction is I'm going to feel attacked. I'm going to feel assaulted. I'm going to feel devalued. I'm going to feel like someone's trampling on my personal freedoms. And that's totally understandable, isn't it? I can understand that. Unless, unless, the one who knows me better than anybody else in all the universe, unless the one who has come to help me reconstruct from the ground up a whole new life and a whole new identity, and to find my true personhood comes into my life, and he's the one who's saying this to me. And Jesus is the only one who has the right to speak to you or to me about the things that go deepest into our personhood. And he also had the love for you and me to come and confront us even at the deepest levels, even going down to the very center of our personhood, even to risk our fury, even to risk our rejection. But Jesus came into the world anyway because he so loved the world. That's why he came. And we know that it was anger because Jesus went to the center and touched the hot buttons. That's what caused him to be crucified. But he loves us enough to be crucified because he wants to bring us out of our post-tree murkiness and destructiveness. He wants to bring us back to Eden so that we have clarity and begin to live our lives according to what is really healthy and what is really good. Now, I, I have just focused on one area of cloudy thinking here this morning, and there's much more that could be said, much more that could be said in this whole area of sexuality. And I think that, I think it's very important in our society right today where these issues are setting in front of us. I think that we as Christians, we have to be, we have to show grace. We have to show, we have to live with grace and truth. You know what it said about Jesus? I like this so much. Jesus was full of grace and truth in that order. 
He was full of grace first, and then he shared the truth. That's how we need to approach our culture. If God, in our relationships with people that are caught up in some murkiness, well, we're caught up in a little bit of murkiness ourselves. God is healing us. He's helping us. He's showing us his word. But we go out there with grace and love. And we don't go out there beating people over the head, and, and we go with love. Anyway, there's other areas. I could have I talked this morning about critical tongue. I could have talked about verbal abuse. I could have talked about greed, hypocrisy, rage, pride, racism, prejudice, apathy toward the needs of others. I could have talked about the religious sins of having condescending holiness that looks down on other people. I could have talked about the sin of being a non-listener, a sin of non-acceptance, of unforgiveness. I could have talked about all those things. But here's the point this morning. The message is about, really about, who is at the center determining what is good for your life and mine. You and I, in a sense, we, are, we have been brought back to the tree this morning where our parents made that very, very poor decision. But you know, we can come back to that tree this morning and we can reverse that decision, at least in our own lives, and the way we do that is this. The only way to regain the clarity of Eden and to bring God's, God's own pure understanding of what is good into our lives is, to, surrender our, is to, to surrender the center back to Jesus Christ and his word. It's my prayer that every single one of us are living that kind of a life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you this morning for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you do not evade the things that are, the, are deeply, held, uh, deeply held ideas and thoughts at the very center of our heart. Because, Lord, we know that it was at the center that, that things fell apart. And, Lord, I pray this morning that you will uh, help us hear your voice. Lord, it would be so easy to be angry. It would be so easy to just be angry at you, to be angry at the Scripture, to discard it, to discredit it, to, to discredit Jesus. It would be so easy in the light of some of these things. But, Lord, that would be like wandering out deeper into the mud. And, Lord, I pray that none of us will do that. I pray that we will recognize that, that we need your clarity and your grace and your, your truth your understanding in our lives to, to pull us out of the mud and onto the solid ground and into the sense of personhood and that's defined by what is truly right and truly wrong. Lord Jesus, uh, I pray that uh, if there's a person here today that is struggling in, in, any of the, in this area, Lord, I pray that you'll speak to each heart. And Lord, all of us deal with murkiness in various areas of our life. Lord, we come to you again today to be cleansed and to be filled with your presence and your grace and your truth. And Lord Jesus, uh, we give you thanks. We give you praise this morning for, your, for spending this time with us. We thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.